It's how you do anything is how you do everything. Okay, whether it's a micro task or a huge task. Hello, and welcome to Zebra Talk. My name is Matt Mayer, and today I'm in conversation with James Boardman. James is a former Royal Marines commando and best-selling author of the book, It's a State of Mind. He's also founder of the global online coaching business, The Man Coach, through which he supports thousands of men dealing with the challenges of real life and their transition to being the best versions of themselves, both in life and in business. It's a raw and emotional conversation at times where James talks openly about his own mental health challenges and the difficulties he had leaving military life and returning to Civvy Street. He talks about how those experiences have allowed him to find his own mission, helping others become elite operators. Hello and welcome to Zebra Talk. Today I'm in conversation with James Bournemouth, former Royal Marine and now works with thousands of men globally, supporting them with goal setting and being the best version of themselves. James, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank really you good to much. see you. Really good to see you. And uh, we're actually recording this podcast just on the on the eve of Mental Health Awareness Week and yeah. uh, thought it'd be a really great opportunity to to get an insight into some of your experiences of working with working with guys um, yeah. around the world with their their challenges and and how that how they're dealing with them, but also it's uh, learn a little bit more about you and uh, and and the challenges that you've you've been through, um, yeah. and how those have those have influenced your your approach to the some of the work that you that you do. In the in your in your book, which is a great read, it's a state of mind. Um, I've actually read it twice, which is uh, which is probably about the only book nice. I've ever read in the world twice, <laughs> which is uh, which is fantastic. So uh, thanks for that. In in the book, you you talk a lot about that difficult period when you when you came out of the military. Um, yeah. you'd, you'd obviously had the experiences of um, being being in war zones and then trying to reintegrate back into, uh, I guess, into civvy street, into mainstream society. Yeah, uh, be really interested just to to hear a little bit more about your own experiences from from that period and how they've informed the approach that you bring now to to working with the guys that you work with. Yeah, sure. So, um, as you say, I was a, I was a Royal Marine um, commando, um, and uh, I left in 2011. Now, um, for me, the Marines was, um, I before I joined the Marines, I was very lost kind of in life, to be honest. You know, I misdirected, misdirection um, many of the time, and I didn't really know where I was going to go. You know, I, was, I knew back then I was very ambitious, um and i always used to say to my mum i'm going to be a manager director of something someday but you know I, I i never really knew how my life was going to pan out and i was very much lost at an early age so i i ended up joining the marines um i think it must have been around 23 24 so when i joined i pretty much fell in love with um the military lifestyle the structure the routine the discipline the challenges um so much so I um, ended up taking it another further and I, and um, I always had always had the intention that I was going to go and do special forces and and become an SBS sort of warrior if you like um, so I did my sniper course as pre-prep for that um, and then uh, then we had my first child which changed everything so we decided not to go down the special forces route but become a physical trainer instructor and then sub branch off to become an adventure training instructor which was amazing you know i spent 10 months training in north wales to be a climber kayaker canoer and i guess my point in in stating all of this is that i built up um an identity um a personality i built up some passion and meaning in life 
And I was so happy and content in this world, um, this military world, you know, that um, I could never fathom really that I was going to leave ever. You know, I was a 22 year man, as we call it. You know, that's how long you do before you, re- you, you kind of have your pension and you go off and you say thanks for your duties, kind of like your gold pen moment. I never expected to leave. Um, but then um, circumstances sort of took over in terms of uh, my relationship, my marriage, where my wife at the time moved home. And uh, that left me with a 700 mile round trip and only seeing my kids one and a half days, um, uh, you know, a week. Uh, and that didn't sit right with me. My dad died when I was very young. Um, and I really wanted to be a part of their life. So I was kind of like torn between do I stay in the military? Uh, do I have this job where I, I'm fulfilled? I'm passionate about life. Um, I, you know, I've, I've great, I, you know, if you think about, I always think about this as like, if you think about that one girl that really like took your heart or owned your heart, that, you know, that was the Marines for me. I was so much in love with the job and the life, but I wasn't in love with just seeing my daughter and my son for a day and a half a week. Um, although I was super present during that time, it just wasn't enough. So, I had to make the decision to leave the military, and I did so in 2011. And um, it's funny, on, on the journey, I only wrote about this the other day, you know, on the journey home, I was kind of at that point, you know, it was a, it was a four-hour journey from South Wales back to where I live, and I was asking myself, is this the right decision, you know, in long term? And if you think, if you fast forward 18 months from that drive home, I was divorced, um, an alcoholic, um, and I had one attempt I, I say attempt. I, I was minutes away from attempting to take my own life. Um, so my, as you can imagine, in those 18 months, my world come crashing down. And there are a number of reasons for that, for my world coming down and crashing down. Um, uh, and number one, number one was that I only had 48 hours in terms of transitioning my whole lifestyle that I'd lived for nine years. So being on Friday, I was a Sergeant Royal Marine in charge of recruits on monday i was a i was a college tutor teaching 16 16 to 19 year olds that just didn't want to be there and i had no idea about how to teach or do the job and suddenly i was smacked in the face with a big baseball bat and at the time i didn't know what was going on with me or my head or the way that was feeling or my life and in six months by christmas you know i was drinking heavily i hadn't done any exercise and I was struggling to know who I was as a guy, as a man. You know, I, I was a Sergeant Royal Marine and I wasn't letting go of that identity to allow myself to become a new identity. And, you know, during that time, I just never knew that. And over the year after that just came, I just pushed my wife away. Um, I, I completely <laughs> I left the military to be with my kids, but I was never present because at the time, I was, without realising it, I was struggling with PTSD. you know, the traumatic change to my life, just like that, you know, it was, it was sudden. Um, so I was trying to deal with that. I was trying to deal with the fact that I took a 12 grand pay cut to come home and the fact that we could just about pay our mortgage. Um, I, I was struggling with the fact that I didn't really have any meaning in my life, that nobody really cared that I, about what I had done for my country or, you know, I suddenly became, if you like, insignificant. And, and that really was hard to face. You know, it was hard to look myself in the mirror. Uh, so I pushed my wife away. Um, 
And then I suddenly became this single dad in this house that I couldn't afford, living off Tesco value baked beans for six months. Um, I got to the point where, uh, uh, you know, the college then suspended me for simply running fitness circuit classes and they felt it was a confliction against their policy. Despite me having the best observation scores and the best results, um, I was thrown into from one traumatic situation to another traumatic situation. And in the end, it got so much that I just sat there at the end of my bed one night uh, with a bottle of Jack Daniels and I, and I, what I'd done is bought up. I didn't really know how to kill myself, to be honest. Um, and I just was going to drown myself in a, in a large amount of pills. So I'd end up falling asleep and hopefully passing away in an overdose somehow, you know? Um, and, um, I, I was kind of like stopped in my tracks as I looked up and I saw the picture of my, my kids just in front of me. And, uh, I looked at them and went, am I going to do this? Am I honestly going to bail on those two when I, when I've got this state? So I quit very quickly, um, took myself for a run and I, you know, uh, running, you know, I used to be, an, I was physical training in the Marines, you know, I'd run 20 miles without even thinking about it. So I started this run and then half an hour passed, an hour passed, an hour and a half passed, and I ended up doing three hours. I, I literally just walk, run, walk, run. It's like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and I cried, I smiled, I reflected. And I came back and I, I came back and um, just enough time for me to be able to raise the black cloud, to evaluate everything that had happened, to have a sensible head on enough to put all of the pills in the bin and throw the bottle of whiskey away. And I guess in your life, you get a pivotal moment. And I think for me, that run was my pivotal moment because if it didn't manage to find the strength, to, to get out of that rut, that dark place that was in right there and then, I, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. And I would have made a terrible error that I couldn't have rectified. And my kids would have had spent the last seven years without a father. And then I kind of look at all of the men that I've helped along the way. None of them would have ever got a chance for me to help them. I never would have had Alba right now. I would never create the businesses and lives and opportunities that I have done now. So when it comes to mental health and mental well-being, like when people talk to me about stuff that's going on in their head, like I've been, like I've dealt with those situations. I've been at the very edge of the cliff, didn't quite jump, thank God. So, and I understand from my own experiences what guys are going through in terms of transition in their head through the different chapters of their life, you know. And I think we in order to um improve ourselves we have to be we have to understand ourselves better and that's what i've spent the last seven years doing is understanding myself better so that i could be the ultimate version of of myself but i'm not even halfway through my life and that and it's to make sure that i leave my legacy and i'm fulfilled for the next 40 years thank you for that and it's, it's incredibly powerful listening listening to to you know, a very open and a very raw explanation of, of, of your, your experience and your background and where you are now. It's interesting to think about the, the way that we're becoming more and more open about our challenges. And you, know, you, you obviously come from a military background, you've been open about that. And I, I wonder whether, you know, the openness of, of people like you know, Jason Fox and Ant Middleton, yeah. whether that's, you know, they, they are helping people, particularly guys, be more and more open about the issues that they're facing. 
Yeah, 100%. So I read Jason's book, um, Jason Fox's um, Battle Scars. Yeah, great book. Yeah, it was a brilliant book. Um, So I remember reading that, and um, I was enthralled in his book, and I was training for a 100-mile race at that time. God, when I listened to it, it really brought back all of the memories about everything I was going through. You know, he talks about that lack of identity. He talks about that struggle that he went through trying to adjust to a completely different lifestyle. Now, like, when I look at Jason Fox, you know, he saw a lot more action in terms of like I ever did, much, much more. Um, so, he, you know, he, in terms, was dealing with those demons and stuff. So it, it's very difficult to put it into context, but I think it for any guy who is leaving one position to then go to another position in, in, in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of their environment, and suddenly have that change, I, I think those key figures that, are, that we're talking about, you know, who we see daily on our TV and we read the books and stuff, I think it's great because they are leading ambassadors in terms of being open and honest about the realities of life. And one of the things that I find many, many men do is bury their head in the sand. And the the more they bury their head in the sand, the deeper the head goes, deeper, deeper, deeper. And the deeper we go, the harder it is to come out of that. Do you you think that what's what's equipped you to deal with those issues yourself, but also to be able to help other people deal with those is, is having hit rock bottom. Do you think hitting rock bottom is a positive? You sounded like you were, you know, in some ways you were, you were, you were grateful for that opportunity to, to see the dark. Yeah, definitely. So my own personal opinion is that I am grateful for the shit that I've been through um, because it makes me more grateful for the day that I live today. So it makes me appreciate every single day when I like, you know, there's not many days that I wake up, and I am doing my four-mile walk in the morning that I don't think about that time and think about where I am now. And it's very powerful for me to go back to that spot. And when I find myself thinking that I've got it bad, I think about that time in 2011 and 12 when I really had it bad. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I, it's made me more grateful for who I am today. Um, and, and in terms of my mission, I don't like to think of it as my job, but in terms of my mission to help guys, I feel that um, it's given me that real sympathy and understanding towards what men go through. And I can almost, you know, I've heard pretty much every scenario that you can possibly think of going on. And in some way, shape or form, I've almost been nearly in all of those situations. Do you know what I mean? There's not many that I haven't experienced myself so a lot of the stuff that i talk about is stuff that i've gone through and i think if i hadn't i couldn't really justify myself as a as, as what i do no and i think i think that sense of um authenticity in, in your work definitely definitely comes across and one of the things i like about your work is the brutal honesty uh, how, how how important is that brutal honesty with yourself i guess um as a starting point to dealing with some of the challenges that that people may be facing so I think it's like it's essential. I think it's definitely essential. Um, I think we have to be able to take the ultimate accountability of ourselves. You know, I think we have to understand that where we are is in, is completely our responsibility. The highest level of accountability to be able to look at yourself and say, "I'm in this position because you, I put myself here." And when I look at my situation back then, um, I should have seeked help immediately. Like, you know. I, after a month, I knew something wasn't right. After a couple of months, 
you know, I was on the spiral. I was walking closer to the cliff. Um, so I was, I, I should have taken responsibility in terms of getting the help that I needed. Um, and there's a, there's, 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 um, there's a great book um, that I read and it summed it up perfectly. And it was Extreme Ownership. It was a great book that I read. Um, and it talks about owning your mistakes and owning your actions but ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to the decisions that you make as a human being and owning those decisions, whether they are right decisions or whether they are wrong decisions. Now, one of the reasons that I feel that some people don't like my work is that I am too honest. I am too close to the truth. And people don't like to hear that. And that's very, it's, it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear. You know, when I had my best friend telling me that, you, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you showing up? What? What? You know, and I, I would blame them. You blame everyone else. It's like, you know, I get guys emailing me blaming it's my fault that they are in the state that they're in, you know, and we do anything to blame. And I think the reason that I'm so brutally honest is because it's just reality. You know, reality is important. And I don't, a lot of the stuff I talk about, I don't just make up out of thin air. These are real, like, like I've worked with thousands of guys. I have been doing this for nearly two and a half years. People write to me, people comment on stuff, people tell me what they're going through. And I see every single scenario. So I know exactly what everyone's going through. I know the emotions that they go through and the cycle that they go through. All I'm doing is conveying the truth for people to accept the truth. And I think the cost of entry to changing is raising your self-awareness and taking responsibility for where you are. And I think once you can raise your self-awareness and you can accept responsibility that the next step is in your hands, you can then move swiftly on with your life the way that you want to. We were talking earlier about identity, and I, I wonder to what extent that sense of self-identity or or ego that lots of people have, not just men, but whether that's a barrier to getting the help that, that you talked about, getting the talking to somebody about the challenges that yeah. you have. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, I was a sergeant in the Royal Marines. A month out or two months out, I was like, I don't need any help. Do you know what I mean? I've been to Afghanistan. You know, I've been a leader of men. Like, I don't need help. I literally hate the version of me. <laughs> yeah. So identity, I think, changes. So what we have are lots of different chapters in our life. So, you know, we go through our 20s, early 20s. We're out partying, chasing girls. You know, mid-20s, um, we start thinking a little bit more about our career. Late 20s, 30s, we find the person we you generally fall in love with and marry. Then suddenly we have kids. Then suddenly we're stuck in a job that we didn't expect to be stuck in. Married to a woman, having two kids and responsible for these two kids. Then you're dealing with high-pressure jobs because maybe you get a promotion. Maybe you're in a job you hate. Maybe life sucks. Then you hit 40, and then you're like, where's my life going? Life's nearly over, and I haven't achieved anything. This, oh, this must be the way it is then. So what we go through between 20 and 40 are different chapters. And we go through what I would call a transition period, transitional period. And I think somewhat happens as we get older is that we get lost in transition okay, or lost in translation. And it's kind of like we don't prepare ourselves mentally, emotionally or physically for the demands of the next chapter. So when we have kids, we don't know how to be a dad. Like, how, you know, no one knows. There's no booklet telling us that it's right or wrong. We don't know then suddenly how to focus on ourselves as well as our children. Is it all right to focus and put me first before my child? 
before my wife? Is that the right thing to do? No, I'll always put my family first. We do that for three, four years, then you neglect yourself. And then suddenly four years later, you're drowning in life because you haven't put yourself first. So identity crisis, I think, changes. And I think we always evolve as men and women. We, we always evolve depending on our surroundings, depending on the, the environment that we're in, depending on the pressures that we have in life. And what I almost feel my role has become is an educational centre to be able to learn to live again, to be able to how to live again through the chaos. And I always call it finding structure amongst the chaos. And through that process, you create an identity that gives you consistency of action, that gives you control of your time and your energy that equates to powerful productivity and then clarity on what your North Star is. So where's your path? Where are you going? And those three C's for me create identity about who you want to be. The, pro the problem that most men have is that they're on the hamster wheel firefighting daily and they don't know who they are. They don't know what they want. They don't know what they like. They just get up, go to job, face the hard truths and work schedule, come back, have dinner, drink, go to bed. And it's just that cycle. And I think one of the interesting, one of the interesting things that we, we, we see uh, coming through in a lot of the, um, the, the social media work that you do is that sense that, that performance as, a, as an individual, performance in work, performance in home and relationship are all interrelated. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, the, the idea of, of, of work-life balance often, often drives us to separate those things and try and treat them differently. But I, I see the theme in your work as saying, actually, no, these things are all interrelated. We have to address them yeah. concurrently. Yeah, I agree. You know, in the book, I talk about the four pillars. So in the four pillars, we've got health, relationships, personal development and business. Um, and it's about spreading your time. And the two biggest currencies you have, okay, is time and energy, time and energy, right? Not currency. You could lose money and you could make it back easily. Okay. What you don't get back is time. What you don't have an abundance of is energy, especially as we get older. So it's about prioritizing those and looking at the four pillars that hold up our life. Okay. Nurturing our health. And under health comes emotional, mental, and physical conditioning. Um, under your relationships, it's, you know, how are you managing? How present are you in your relationships with your spouse, with your uh, close family, with your children? Okay, with the people that matter, friends, family, you know, um, if, if you're not getting invited to the barbecue, it's most likely because you're too busy working and you haven't seen them and you've lost touch and network of people. If you're getting divorced, it's most probably because your wife's pissed off that you're on your laptop or phone most nights ignoring her. So she wants some attention. If your kids don't talk to you, it's probably because they don't want to tread. They want to get told off because you're busy working. You know, harsh realities of truth is that the kids don't care how much you earn. They don't care what your job role is. They don't care if you're the CEO of Nike or Apple. That doesn't matter to them. What they want is your time and your energy. Okay. And then the balance of work, performance of work. Are you doing the things that matter? Are you focusing on the things that matter to allow yourself not to be burnt out and do everything? If you run your own business, the quarterback of that business, and you're organizing leading, if you're a director or CEO or manager, are you doing those roles or are you trying to do everyone else's roles? So again, when I talk about the balance, about spreading this along, it's about how you do anything is how you do everything. This has worked because I've trialed it from something as simple of, of how you conduct yourself around the house in terms of your washing, your laundry, your organization. I could go into someone's house 
and tell what their work patterns are like just by looking at their house. So if I go into their house and there's laundry everywhere, there's no washing up, then I can tell that their priorities are elsewhere. And, and those productivity habits stay with us all the time. And it's training your brain to do anything. Whereas if you procrastinate on doing the laundry, the washing, the garden, you know, you procrastinate most likely on your health goals, on the priority roles, on the things that you've got to do. And, and I'm a big believer in that. That statement is huge for me. It's how you do anything is how you do everything. Okay, whether it's a micro task or a huge task. So I really like that. And I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that we're recording this on audio rather than visual, because uh, you might draw some conclusions about my own work pattern. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it, it's interesting. And I, and I, you know, I really, it definitely resonates with me that idea that, that how you operate in your, in your personal life and how you operate in your professional life are, are interlinked to a yeah. greater degree that, that definitely than we think. Now, I know that you, you work with a range of people, but a particular part of your client base is senior leaders, executives who are, trying to do just that trying to trying to trying to deal with their their personal improvement and their personal development yeah. but they're doing it not just from a, a personal perspective but to make sure that they're effective operators in in their business environment yeah Re- really interested to to understand better how you're supporting them to approach that challenge so so when someone in that leadership role comes to you and they're you know they they're, they're vulnerable they recognize yeah. they've gone as far as recognizing that there are things that they need to deal with just where do they start? Okay, so uh, I think the key here is that anyone in that cycle, whenever I talk to them about goals, what they want to achieve, where they want to go, all they ever do is talk about their work and business. Like it, it's all one-sided. And then we suddenly, I say, so what are you doing for you? How are you putting you first? Because remember, there's the, I, uh, I can't visually show you this, but I can talk about it. So I have the priority triangle. All right. So if you think about a triangle, split it into four sections with the four pillars. Now, when most guys that come into my world immediately are at the very bottom of that triangle, and I don't mean they're in the triangle, I mean they're underneath it, holding the triangle up, okay, carrying the weight of their world on their shoulders. Okay. So they are stressed and pressured, trying to please the wife, trying to please the kids trying to please their bosses, trying to meet the budgets, trying to be the next like um, uh, wolf in Wall Street, if you like. All right. So they're up there trying to carry all of it. And what becomes very evident is that they, as a human being, not as a CEO, not as a managing director of a million pound companies, they as a human being are not putting themselves first. So the first thing that we need to do is work on the very basics. And that's and that's where we start. So with the guys, in, in order to be an effective, what I would call, what we call in our world, elite operator in their business, in their career, they've got to be an elite operator in their own personal life. So that means having a morning routine. That means having structure. That means having discipline. That means being organized. That means having um, discipline with their diary management. That means having priorities, cutoff points, rules. And it sounds kind of overwhelming, but this is the type of stuff that I would work with someone over six to eight months, okay, on these things. You know, the basics is having that morning routine, having that time to yourself, being more grateful about life, having gratitude, um, focusing more on health and, and personal growth, rather than just being the CEO that walks out, focuses 85% of his time on the business and career and 15% time on himself and his family. 
So the first thing that we ever do, and it's a bit of a shock culture for a lot of them, is we actually talk about how they can be an effective elite operator in their personal life, not their business. So the the morning routine is a is a key part of your your approach. And I was um, up early enough to see that you were swimming <laughs> at five thirty this morning with your dog. Yeah. Uh, on the south coast of England, tell us yeah. a little bit about your morning routine and how that's that's evolved over time. Yeah. So. If you like, my morning routine is the rocket fuel for me to perform in life. If there was no morning routine, I would be in trouble. Um, so in order for me to be the ultimate version okay, of myself, for my family, for my clients, for my business, for my life, for my vision and my North Star, I have to make sure that I'm in the best state of mind that I can possibly be in. And that comes in the way of a morning routine. Now I get up. So how my morning routine, it works from Monday to Friday and I'm all in Monday to Friday. I am structured to the minute. Okay. Very structured weekends. I don't have any structure. I don't do anything. I do what I'm told from the messes. You know, um, we stay in bed like last Sunday, we stayed in bed to 11, just, you know, chilling out. My daughter was watching like YouTube. I was just on and off dozing. My partner was playing the game, just none, none. And I like that because that gives me downtime. It takes the pressure off and I allow, I'm allowed to uh, build up my hunger ready for Monday again. So just for reference, that's a normal Sunday. That's a normal, yeah, but like for, for, for me, I never allowed myself to do that. So, you know, for, for many, many years, I would do this, my, this routine I'm about to tell you relentlessly seven days a week, you know, and I just was like at the point where, I need to have some more balance. And that's, again, where that self-reflection comes from. So my, I get up at 4.15, Monday to Friday. Uh, the first 15 minutes is pretty much just admin, first breakfast, teeth. Um, I proofread my email that's going out for the day. Um, and I still manage to miss most of my spellings. But <laughs> I spend that time proofreading my content for the day. Um, I do. I have what's called clarity. So I will check my diary for the day, my journal. And I will look at the top three things that are on my plate to do when I start my work or uh, whatever it might be. Um, so that when I go on my walk and I reflect, I can just think about those things in more detail. Um, so I drive down to the beach around five with the dogs and we walk four miles every single morning down the seafront. I'm lucky enough to live on one of the be most beautiful parts probably in the country. It's, it's incredible. Um, and as you say, we started doing some small early morning swims. So this morning, um, I have a lot of scars. This is going to sound a little bit spiritual, but I find I have a lot of scars um, on my soul. And um, in terms of when I get in that sea and it's just me and it's calm and the sun's literally rising above us, before I do my JB show, I just have a moment of gratitude for a minute and kind of cleanse my soul and my mind and my head about every mistake that I've kind of done, all the, mis all the people I've hurt along the way, decisions that I've made that haven't, benefit other people you know and i think that's part of the evolution of us as men is is accepting those things now i don't dwell on those things i just it's a gratitude thing uh, and i feel alive when i come out i feel like I'm, I'm i'm cleansing myself we used that's what we used to call it in marines we cleanse ourselves for our sins <laughs> we used to have this little tank that we'd have to throw ourselves in in full uniform um it was good times um but anyway we do that and i do what's called a jb show 
Um, so the early morning JB show is where I do my reflections for five to eight minutes. And I just talk about a subject. OK, I've, I've kind of got a little structure that I work through in different points that I feel will help men. We've got a brand new show, which is called um, Rise to Thrive, which is for entrepreneurs and business owners in terms of being an elite operator in their business. So we've got a couple of things going on there. During the walk as well, once I've done all my social stuff, um, I then listen to my audio book or podcast. So it's personal development. I love listening to um, content in the morning when I'm most alive. It makes me feel positive. It gives me um, fire in my belly to hear other people's success. It gives me clarity that, you know, I've kind of, these guys have got a story. I've got a story. We've got something in common. And I just love listening to other people's way of thinking and their way of life. And I think it promotes a positive mindset in terms of your well-being. Um, I then come back home um, and I do 10 minutes meditation on my car map. Um, I then come home at seven uh, and then I make the girls breakfast and then I go back to bed uh, and we spend maybe an hour in bed, um, like having breakfast together, just chatting, chin wagging to about eight and then at eight till nine is sweat time. That's when we do our morning routines or run or whatever it's going to be. And at nine o'clock, uh, we're in the office ready to go for the deep, first deep work session. And I'm guessing that contrasts quite drastically with many of your clients who are used to you know, rolling out of bed at 8.30 and getting punched in the face by life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many, so including myself, so I used to, when I used to run my boot camp, you know, maybe we talked about talking two, three years ago, I would have a class on at six in the morning. I was up probably at 10 to six and I'd have to get changed, breakfast, coffee, be out the door and I would arrive bang on the time. And I look at that now, so unprofessional back then, but I would be in bed to the very last minute. And um, it was difficult to get up. Like as I get up at half four now, I'm pumped. I've never pressed news. I've never thought I'm going to stay in bed. I just, I've, I've, I've conditioned my mind now just to roll out of bed and get on with it. Like I don't, I don't even dread it. I stupidly, weirdly look forward to getting up in the morning. And there's an important point here. There's two. Number one, it gives me time to myself, which I don't think enough men do. You know, I, I'm turbo busy all the time. My brain's running at 100 miles an hour. But to walk for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, for over four miles to reflect, I'm a, it clears my brain. It clears my brain. And I think so many men carry, and women carry so much going on in their head. Okay, it's like so much going on. But just for that hour, hour and a half, the world is just mine. You know, before the hustle and bustle, just in my own little world, pre-COVID-19, there'd be nobody on, there'd be no one down there now. It's like rush hour in New York. But it's um, right now, you know, that time when I walked down there, there was nobody around. When I'm in the sea, when I was in the sea this morning, there was no one around. And I don't know if you've ever seen the film I Am Legend when he is driving around New York and he's the only guy who's left in New York. And it, you look around, you, you, you would think you're in an apocalypse and you've just got this little morning routine. Sometimes that's what I visualise it as. But it just sets my mind, my state of mind, to be in the right place for the day. And when I start at 9 o'clock, my clients get the best of me. My daughter's had the best of me. My son's had the best of me. My older girl's had the best of me. My, my future wife's had the best of me. Uh, and I'm in that great place, okay, rather than having rushed around and walked out the door stressed and frustrated. Well, I'm sure like, like I am, there's a number of our listeners will be hearing you talk like that and feeling both, both envious and inspired by the, 
degree of calm that that's already conjuring up in up in my mind. You, you dropped casually into your uh, description of the morning routine, and I think this was probably about five forty-five that you checked in with your plan uh, for the week. And I, yep. I, I'm guessing based on what you what you've been talking about that that planning ahead and 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 trying to get that sense of calm and control that comes from planning is an important part of your own yeah. approach to good mental health. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And so, so it's it's quarter to five that I do my clarity check. So just before I leave the door, I, I like to look at my um, my top three things. Now, I don't just make them up in the morning. Um, what we do is that actually just before I come on with you, and it's Friday now, I've just done all my weekly planning. Okay, for next week. So um, I've got my uh, ninety day planner, my focus planner. Um, I then have my diary, which is where I simply just put in my deep work processes now i'm big one on productivity so um that's the way i work i work in 90 minute intervals but i do all my planning so i basically plan my time and my energy and where it's going to be distributed today for next week okay and i find that when we have consistency control and clarity of that time and that energy that reduces a large amount of anxiety distress um, possibilities for um, uh, uncertainty. And I feel that when we're uncertain, that's when we start creating chaos in our life. Um, and I, and this is where the discipline of the military comes in, in terms of that when, you know, you know where you're going to be at what time. If you think about when you was at college or university, you used to do this all the time. You, you would base your life around the timetable that you got, right? You know, what, what classroom you're going to be in, who's teaching you and what lesson and how long it's going to take. And you'd know that for the week. And then around that, you would plan in seeing your girlfriend or your boyfriend, down going down to gym, going to hang out at McDonald's, going to do some extra shifts down Tesco's, planning study time. We do that as an organisation. That's, that's the beauty of college and that's the beauty of your university. It provides the structure for you to base your life around. Then we go into the real world and we go into the real world. Let's say you finish uni at 22, 21, 22. You then spend the next 18 years before you become 40, like living on the cuff, firefighting daily, not know what's coming up. So if I was to say to you, Matt, tell me where you're going to be Tuesday at one o'clock. You know, you could literally go, okay, I've got a meeting with so-and-so okay where are you going to be friday morning here i've got so-and-so great so you're telling me that you haven't done your workouts but this time here here and here and that the the, the old excuse of oh, i just don't have time and that like I, I literally will quite happily strangle any client that says that to me um because there is same 24 you have the same 24 hours as i do um but how you manage that time and how you use that time and distribute the balance across the four pillars is down to you. And that's where when you suddenly start writing in, you're going to do a workout in the mornings on your morning routine. It's there in black and white. It's part of your daily schedule. You're not having to think about it last minute. So it's about being proactive. And I guess that was huge in the military for us to be super uh, proactive in terms of planning ahead. Right. And that was that was vital. It's interesting. I'm thinking about that that military approach, and uh, a number of our a number of our listeners will be individuals who who will be interested in what you're saying because they're individuals, but also people who are leaders and running organisations. And I and I wonder whether 
employers and organizations have got a greater role to play in providing the yeah. support yeah. and the structure and the planning to help their key people. I can't hundred percent. like yes. So for me, extreme ownership comes from the very top. And this is, this, these are just a few of my thoughts is that like, if you are running, running a company and you want your staff to be working um, and getting better results, I would first thing that I would be looking at is like, what are they doing with their time and their energy? You know, do are they clear on their roles and responsibilities? Are they being as productive as they possibly can be? And it's no point in turning around saying, well, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, unless they're given the right training. And I, and I feel that a lot of the stuff that I actually do would open up the eyes to a lot of different people in terms of, it's not necessarily teaching it to the worker, but it's teaching it to the operational managers to then teaching to the next guy down, then teaching the next guy. You know, everyone should be running off the same song sheet. You know, if you think about an operation that we would go into, you would have the general knowing what's going on to the CEO, to the OC, to the sergeant, to the color sergeant, to the every infantry soldier. And what you have to make sure that you're doing is it's pointless. If I came in to teach an organization, I wouldn't just be teaching the managers. I'd be teaching them, and then I'd be teaching the operators in that business, all on the same level. So everybody is singing off the same song sheet. There's no point, like you know, and it's, there's no point in just doing it for part of the company. Everyone has to understand the structure that is then spread out across the company, and then everyone, you know, then some super intelligent guy could come up with some creative software to then, like, obviously manage everyone's timetable. Um, I'm not a fan of software. I just love writing stuff down. Like if there's something passionate about writing something down your diary that gives you a sense of achievement. But I, I do feel that if people want more out of their staff, then there has to be that development. There has to be that training. There has to be that follow-up and accountability as well. I was reading some research that had been done at Cornell University in, in the US recently about, is really looking at how, organizations had done a really good job at, at goal setting. So really, really good at setting outcome goals, really good at setting process goals. But where a lot of organizations were falling down was around uh, what they, they talked about, feedback loops. So that, that need to check in and measure progress and adapt and adjust and you know to pick up some of you know some of perhaps some of the military language to adapt and overcome where there are situations in there. And it was saying that if, the, if there was proper feedback mechanisms within within operational management it was pointing to a, a sort of 17 to 25 percent productivity improvement just on the back of feedback and, and measuring I, I would guarantee that if you sat down and created goals for the third quarter or this second quarter right now and two weeks later you asked everybody what the goal was no one would no one would remember no one now what we are really good at doing is sitting down in a room Okay, with our Starbucks sitting down, going, this is what we're going to achieve. This, yeah, you know, you've probably done your quarter. You've probably done your quarter goals at the very beginning of the year, right? So we we go through and we go, this is what we're going to achieve. Great. So probably number one, what doesn't happen is that we do regular meetings to keep ourselves accountable. So there's no accountability. One of the things, even remember how you do anything is how you do everything. One of the things that I put in my planner is at the start of each week when you plan, is you write down your goals again. So that you remind yourself over and over and over again what the plan is for the 12 weeks. If the action that you're taking isn't in line with those goals, what are you doing? There's like a complete confliction. 
So this is where regular accountability, structured meetings, structured follow-ups come into handy to say, look, are, are we following this target correctly? Are we on track? And by the way, what are the goals for this quarter? Do you know? And I think it would be very interesting for most CEOs, managing directors, owner of companies and businesses to turn around and ask their staff what the quarterly goal is. And is what, what is your, either a micro for an operator, what's your micro goal in terms of what do you need to achieve to make sure that that goal is achieved? Area manager, what do you need to achieve to ensure that goal is achieved? Chief executive, what do you need to achieve? Like director, do you know what I mean? And it's making sure that everyone knows their roles and responsibilities over those period of times to suddenly go, right, yeah, they've been doing that, right? And, and I'm sure that's probably great on paper and i'm sure everybody's doing saying that they're doing that but are they really doing that and and i think based on my experience and i i actually did this with a client once we wrote down our goals two weeks later we did something that we you know this kind of live thing that we're doing here and i said without looking at your notebook tell me what your goals are and he goes i just i can't remember because we're not invested in them when it comes to goals there has to be meaning. There has to be something that's passionate there. There has to be, it has to be driven. And we all have to be driven in an organized, like for me, when I create my business goals, they're, they're, they're challenging for me. They put me at the edge of my comfort zone. They make me want to show up. They make me want to challenge myself. They make me sick with anxiety because it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. And as my brand grows, I, like, I kept constantly saying to Jemima, sometimes I want to stay in my little bubble. Like, because I get quite nervous when it's expanding. And that's like exciting, right? Those goals are exciting. But when we're just like talking about goals in terms of like nothing that really excites us or drives us, and then suddenly we worry about why the morale of our staff, okay, are struggling and why the company isn't performing as well as it could be, could that be linked to, could that, could that be linked to, you know, no one's really driven to achieve these type of things. And it, and it could be different for different organizations. Do you know what I mean? So it could be, you know, why not in the office or, or the organization set some person, remember what we talked about? Instead of it just being business related goals, why doesn't everybody in the company, why, or why doesn't the head of the companies say, look, we're going to achieve this personal goal. I want every single person to be able to achieve a personal goal in the next 12 weeks in terms of personal development, in terms of your own health. And this is the other area is that if you want the most out of your staff, surely the stuff that I'm teaching, we should be teaching your operators, your area managers. If your area manager is one of my clients who's just come to me and he's drinking every night, he's stressed, he's on the verge of divorce, is he going to be performing you in business? No, he's definitely not. So I think in terms of welfare packages, in terms of training for goal setting, in terms of productivity, I, I very much doubt there's been enough done in terms of you know, of looking after the well-being of your staff and the growth of your business and brand. And I think that's particularly acute when you when you think about the, the conversations in business that we have at the moment around the idea of um, people bringing their whole self to work. I think that's that's really interesting because for so many organisations that does that means bringing the good bits, not not the bad bits. And actually, you know, if we bring our whole self to work, we need to have organisations that allow people to work on their whole self. And equally, lots of organizations talking about purpose, and that, that's very much a framed as organizational purpose. But actually, you're absolutely right. The, 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 the ability to align 
personal purpose and organizational purpose has to has to drive better pro- productivity and i suspect you know back to where we started has to drive better mental health you know that sense of purpose that sense of direction yeah and and i i you get in a much effect you get a much more effective operator when when you when when you are not just looking at at staff as teams as people that are just there to help you achieve when you're looking at them in terms of more personal development and growth and and they actually are becoming their best version of themselves when they are the best version of themselves and they're rocking up and they're excited to turn up to work and you know they're getting acknowledged and we're doing more community stuff and 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 more acknowledgement goes out those guys want to work for you more that means you're going to get more out of those guys. That means they're going to be more productive, like you talked about, and they're going to be a much more positive environment to work in. And I think a positive environment creates a better mental well-being and a, met- a better mental frame of mind. And I think the other the other thing we see so often is that the, 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 there's goal setting in the short and medium term, but actually, purpose is about is often about a long-term vision. Yeah. It's not something that's going to be achieved in the next quarter or yeah. you know the next five yeah. years. It's yeah, about yeah. a long-term vision. In the work that you're doing with 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 your clients, how important is vision and visualization in helping with mental health and direction? Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a little example of what I've done. When I was forty, so I'm I'm, I'm coming up to forty two this year. When I was forty, I set myself some ten year goals. Now most people would be like, "That's a long way away," but that is the point. Okay, like if I was to, if you're listening to this now, where are you going to be in ten years? Where are you going to be in your health? In your personal development, where do you want to be relationships and where do you want to be with your career? It's like most startup businesses, when they start their business or in business, no one really prepares for the exit strategy. You know, how are you getting out of this business? And I think it's the same in terms of how you're going to move into the next chapter of your life. And if you think about the things that we've spoken about, it's important to understand the different evolutions and the different chapters that you're going to go through over those 10-year periods, whether it's the growth of your business. You know, whether you're as you grow or you're going to put yourself under more pressure in terms mentally. So I think we have to be able to visualize our future, our tomorrow. And this is super important because it adds an extent of meaning, drive, purpose, reality to you growing as an individual, as to you being the ultimate version of yourself, to you being an elite operator in your career and as a father, as a man. And it that, if, if you like, I'll tell you about a film that I watched. It was called, uh, I think it was called Collateral Damage with Tom Cruise and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, no, Jamie, Jamie Foxx. So but Jamie Foxx is a taxi driver and a limo driver. He just works every hour under the sun, okay? He just takes crap from all the passengers. It's, it's a shit day. And when he gets crap from a bad drive, well, bad passenger, once that passenger is gone, he will pull down his sun visor and he would look at this picture of this boat. And his vision is that he's doing all of this to save up to be able to hit that boat and go and travel around the world. That's his vision. He knows it's not going to happen anytime soon. He knows it's another five, six, seven, eight, nine year journey. But every time he has a bad day, every time he has that bad client, he comes back to that vision and reminds himself why he's doing it. Now, I, when I watched that, I was like, wow, that's powerful. So I created my vision. So like my vision, and uh, as you know, is that when my boy is 18 and he's finished college, that we're going to go and travel the world for a year. Okay. And we're going to go and see the world. I'm going to, I'm going to take my brand with me. I can still be able to deal with all my clients and 
run my business with my team and my visualize you know i visualized this in great detail from the minute that i left the house okay to getting on the airplane to going to the first stop to the first airport what it would feel like smell like look like how it would run logistically and as i ever get closer to that period of time you know it's six years away okay i'm going to be end up being 47 48 i'm going to be close to the end of my 10-year vision everything i do today is all in alignment with that vision everything that's going to be one of the biggest adventures of my life with my kids touch wood they actually want to know me then um but for sure my eight-year-olds when i come is going to come with us my she will be my wife by then will definitely be coming and hopefully my two older kids will come for the experience or at some point so everything i do so when i don't feel like doing something or showing up I remind myself of that vision. If I'm having a bad day or a bad client or a bad negativity on social media, I remind myself of that vision. So whatever happens in today, right now, right here, I always refer back to my vision, just like the Phil when he looks at his boat. And I feel that is really, really powerful to have in any organization, in any guy, in any woman who is struggling, something to fall back on. And remind yourself of the bigger picture because micro day to day you might have a bad day who doesn't have a bad day i have bad days I had a bad day last couple of weeks ago and i just took two days completely off and felt much better for it you know in the long run of my 10-year vision it's nothing nothing my business is not going to close down people are not going to stop following me just because i've taken some time out and i actually was honest with everybody as well when i did my morning show on breaking down and I think that vision is one of the most powerful things that you can have. And no one can take that away from you. No one. And you just keep working that 1% every single day to get closer to that vision. James, an, an incredibly um, personal and, and open conversation. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I, and I, I know our listeners will be grateful for your, um, your openness. I think you know, one of my key takeaways from, from the conversation today is around the importance of that alignment of your personal performance objectives and goals and your and your business per, um, purpose performance and goals and i think that's that's really powerful and i think the other the other takeaway for me is the just the role of of brutal honesty we've got nothing to fear um from that brutal honesty if if that's resonating with with listeners how how can they get involved with your work where can they where can they find um, your work so like if you wanted to reach out to me just email me i don't ever really get back on the social media platform so if you email me at me at boardmanjames.com um, a good place to start is reading my book, which is on Amazon. It's called It's a State of Mind. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram at The Dad's Coach. I'm on LinkedIn under James Boardman or our company page is The Man Coach. Um, any of them, you can get hold of me, The Man Coach, um, on Facebook. So um, you can see all the content that I talk about in the morning. But if you want to reach out to me personally, e email is the best bet um and and have a read of the book it's like a fiver at the minute it's on it depending on when this comes out so it might have gone up you've probably gone up now i've said that <laughs> yeah that's great well having as i said at the beginning having read the book twice it's uh, it's definitely a good reason it's an easy read so and there's the podcast uh, as well which is it's a state of mind on itunes and podbean as well so people can listen to that as well absolutely perfect james bourbon thank you very much